Hello and welcome to the Analytic Show, the podcast of business through the lines of data science. But together, we'll dive into learning and sharing where various industries are heading and how data and analytics is at the heart of shaping business growth and productivity. Let's spark different ways of thinking about data and analytics that is relevant to you and prepare your business for future disruption. I'm your host, Jason Tan. I'm delighted you could make it on this journey with us. Hey guys, to continue to get support, tips, techniques, and tools, and learn from the expert, hit that subscribe button wherever you are so we can keep in touch and continue our lifelong learning together. So, are you using your company data to its full potential? Take our embedded analytic assessment to find out your score. A leading organization like Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google have moved beyond dashboard and embedded data science directly into their daily business operation. With our three-minute test, you will discover your potential in optimizing customer experience and revenue through embedded analytics. You will gain greater clarity, insight, and advice to embed analytics. Plus, you will receive customized results instantly. Find the link to this assessment in the description of this episode. Hello, good afternoon, Ms. Anne. Welcome to the Analytics Show podcast. So excited to have you here, telling all the way from uh, New Zealand. I have always loved uh, going there. I did enjoy my trip like I shared with you. Thanks for dialing in. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Jason, for, for hosting me. I look forward to uh, the conversation. Well, the pleasure is mine. Now, to get things started, I want to highlight something that I found when I was doing my research, that you are a training advisory board member with the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Um, I think this is a really important, as much as we are all in the world of data and we try to use data to advance the cause, but equally privacy is so important. Tell us a little bit more about this and what does this entail? Sure. Um, so I, uh, it's my second year actually on the, um, on that board. Uh, and essentially, as part of my role at Foodstuffs, a significant part of it is engendering trust, both in with our customers and also with our employees and vendors and everybody that we deal with. Trust really is the basis of good and effective data analytics. So mm -hmm. given uh, the need for the organization for leadership in the space, I took it upon myself to um, start getting more and more deeper down uh, into the detail when it comes to privacy and started to do some certification. The International Association of Privacy Professionals is one of potentially the peak body for um, privacy internationally. So, if, you know, when I was doing the, the training and, and sitting the formal examinations, I noticed that despite, um, despite the word international in the title of, of, of the organization, it really tended to be quite US centric. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the membership is still US based, although of course there are members from all across the world. So rather than, uh, I guess, complaining about it, I decided to do something about it and, and put up my hand to um, participate in, in, this, in this effort and I was accepted. 
Uh, and now it's basically just focusing my energies on making the content for the testing, for the training, uh, uh, more relevant to people in our region of the world. Right. What would be the, based on the experience you have got so far, what do you think would be the, the, the major differences between uh, ANZ region uh, versus the uh, North America region? I think a lot of it is semantics. So the way, for instance, US talks about personally identifiable information, uh, that's not a term that we use here, uh, or at least not in, in this country. It's, it's called personal information and referred to as personal information under the Privacy Act. Um, mm. But more so, uh, you know, the examples used, the, the, the scale of things, um, the costs when they do sort of the costs of breaches, it's always in US dollars. Um, I know it might not sound like much, but uh, when I was going through the material, I found it more difficult sometimes to relate to and to get the underlying message across than perhaps it could be if somebody had a more real world, more localized experience. So um, I, I, I am guessing I'm not the only one that feels that way. So I, I sort of, uh, all my efforts have been to try and influence as much as I can uh, sure. the material to make it more, act, you know, people are easier to act upon for people in, in the context that we're in. Absolutely. So it sounds like um, the anyone in practicing the data and analytics in uh, our region of uh, Australia and New Zealand, yes. um, what is the best way for them to, to, to get to know more about this? Do you want to give the IAPP a plug? Uh, okay, I, th I think it's worthwhile because it is a voluntary organization, it's a not-for-profit organization, so um, it really is the, the, the whole point about it, at least as I'm able to discern, is about improving the practice of privacy internationally, mm. making privacy more prominent. Um, and I think it's if for those that haven't maybe considered uh, privacy as a um, augmentation of their existing data analytics skills, I strongly recommend it. And I strongly recommend considering the International Association of Privacy Professionals or IAPP as a source to um, improve uh, and, and enhance your and upskill. Um, it is really easy to do, right? So, so uh, joining is, is straightforward. Typically what happens is um, there are people join to undertake uh, various certifications, mm. certified information privacy manager training course. There is a certified information privacy technologist training course. Uh, there is a um, one geared around GDPR in Europe, one geared around the US uh, US various laws in the various states uh, as it relates to privacy. So depending on where you are at in your privacy journey, depending on your level of skill, I would say there's probably a course that is um, to you and your respective organization. So have a look at the IAPP website um, mm. and, and get a feel for which one is most applicable to you guys or to, to, to the listeners and, um, and, ju and just do it. Like it's, it's, you can either go the paid route, which is you attend a couple of days of, of um, formal privacy training. They give you the course material, you go away and you combine what you learned 
um, in the face-to-face -face sessions with what, what comes out of the textbooks as you would a regular exam. Sit in the examination um, and, uh, and get your certification. And then obviously there's a, a need to up, keep your um, skills up to date. So throughout a particular year, you have to hit a certain number of points by attending various training sessions, seminars, etc., to maintain your, your status. But I've found it really easy to do and really interesting and have learned quite a bit uh, in the time that I have been uh, a part of the IAPP family. So definitely strongly recommend it. I will make sure to get the uh, website address from you and sure. share in the uh, podcast uh, as well. Sure. Now, uh, speaking about the trust like you highlighted, I think it's super important for the organization and the nature of the business that uh, of the organization that you work for, which is uh, Foodstuff North Island. Tell us a little bit more about your role as the head of analytics at the new Foodstuff North Island and also uh, the company itself. Sure thing. Um, okay, so Foodstuff North Island is the largest grocery uh, retailer in Aotearoa. And Aotearoa is the Maori word for New Zealand for our international audience. Um, we are a 100% Kiwi-owned cooperative and employ about 25,000 uh, people throughout the North Island. Um, we serve about 3 million customers per week, either in either those that come in through our physical stores and, and shop in our uh, supermarkets or convenience stores, uh, uh, our e-commerce platform. And in a country of 5 million, that's, you know, 60 plus percent of the population. So in terms of footprint and impact, it's hard to think of an organization that is more consequential. Uh, we help keep, keep people fed and, and it's really, um, it's a really, really important responsibility and a role that everybody at Foodstuffs takes super seriously. Mm. Um, you asked about my role. So, uh, well, before I go to, to that, this year, I think 2022 marks the 100 year anniversary of the co-op. Um, I happen to have started uh, on, the, on my first stuff journey about three years ago, having emigrated yeah. from, um, from Oz with my young family. And I was really drawn by the culture of the organization and the genuine allure of, of seemingly limitless potential uh, when it comes to how much data is being mm. collected and how much data the organization is custodian of and the potential to do so much good um, with that. My journey to foodstuffs um, sort of coincided with, um, well, I was the first person, I believe, uh, to have the words data and analytics in their title in the 100 years. <laughs> so okay. that's my, my initial claim to fame. Uh, that's exciting. Yeah, it, it is. And I think it coincides with the fact that around that time, there was a very conscious move to transition the organization um, into a customer-driven uh, direction. And the, uh, and the real um, the people became cognizant that data and analytics, analytics would be critical to that transformation. So it just so happened that the stars aligned and... Um, find myself here three years on. Now, 
before we go on, that is one thing that I want to um, point out, which, uh, which is, I, I noticed that that is food stuff, not Queen's, not Island. Yep. And yet there is also North uh, food stuff, uh, South yeah, Island. Uh, that is primary because I think uh, New Zealand is, is often uh, considered as two parts, South Island and, 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 and uh, North Island. It looks to me there are some overlapping, but technically, legal entity-wise, there are two separate companies. Is that correct? So to make sure that uh, the listener are not confused by that. When no, you're, it's a really, it's a really a good point. North Island and Food Stuff South Island are two distinct legal entities. So, from a legal mm -hmm. standpoint, you are absolutely correct. If we are being true to our customer-driven vision, if you're a customer and you walk into one of our banners is called, for instance, New World, um, you know, premium retail brands. If you go into a New World as a customer in the North Island or South Island, you really, you know, the average customer would not care that they are in the North or the South Island. They're expecting a certain level of service, a certain level of consistency, a certain level of maybe integration is the right word. So mm. from a with a customer driven lens on, um, we we try and coordinate our activities in such a way that will benefit ultimately our customers, our shared customers. So even though there are legal legally completely independent with our own boards, our own management teams, etc., um, we uh, I think it. It's really important that we continue to work together and have been increasingly working together with a customer lens on to make sure that from a customer perspective, whether it be online or in our stores, we operate in a way that gives them a, a you know satisfaction that there is a consistent and high level of service across across both items. So even though we're independent, there are a lot of you know sister organizations in play. Fascinating. I can imagine the uh, the the excitement and uh, the value uh, that come up from the these two organization of working with each other but equally it must have also uh, introduced some challenges in a way that would be preventing that you two work together in in in, in a way that is protecting the 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 interests of the organization of each other protecting the interests of the customer in certain way. How do you walk that balance of, of these, the benefit and the challenge of, from this sort of uh, partnership? That's an interesting question. Look, I can only speak to my interplay with our, our colleagues in the South Island. And, and um, we have a really, because I sit within the overall IT uh, division within for South Island, mm. we have a really, really strong and ever strengthening relationship with our colleagues in the South Island. So from my experience, technologically speaking, and from a data and analytics perspective, it's, it's really easy to coordinate uh, uh, with them, um, particularly because we both have a shared vision of doing, putting customers at the center of everything that we do. So it's been really no challenge at all. I would imagine that um, there are certain um, sensitive areas like pricing and, and promotional activity and things of that nature where it makes sense for there to be a 
barrier between us, but for from a practical perspective, um, it really is easy to deal with people in the South Island. We have sort of a lot of commonality, more commonality amongst us in terms of thinking than, than otherwise. Um, a good example is um, their recent adoption or coming onto the uh, online e-commerce retailing space which is a very recent thing for us in the North Island, you know, only a few years old and only a year or so old in the South Island. So we, rather than do things two separate ways and get our customers to interact with our organizations in two separate ways, would it make sense to the customer? Therefore, we thought about it and came to an understanding that there is now a national e-commerce solution, which satisfied customers, which, which is the infrastructure through which regardless of whether you're in the North or the South Island as a customer, you interact with foodstuffs in a uniform and consistent way. That's a really big and really recent example of um, one of the, and that wasn't always the case, right? So it was, it has gone by, there would have been differing interest in adopting uh, e-commerce platforms. I think the, the advent of, of COVID um, sort of made, it's a little bit easier to operate in that space when you couldn't operate in the same way physically. It makes sense to, to sort of go online. So there are things internally that we're always working on to improve relations. There are things externally affecting customers and we're always looking to, to ways in which we can address those concerns and put customers at the center where it makes sense to nationally and where it makes sense to we do, we do things differently regionally as well. Wow, fascinating. Now, speaking of the customer-driven, yeah. um, I notice that is a word that you use often. I, I really like it. My question for you then is, how do you empower all the business decision across the uh, foodstuff North Island, uh, mm -hmm. across the corporation to, to be customer-driven, to be data-driven uh, at the same time? I'll probably start off with just uh, um, talking about what the overall mission is for Foodstuffs North Island. So we're on a mission to um, ensure that Kiwis get more out of life by being one of the most customer-driven retailers in the world. Mm. What does that mean? <clears throat> we in the data analytics team have distilled that mission into ensuring uh, business decisions, wherever they happen across our entire cooperative, happen in a way that uh, is data powered and is, um, is customer driven. Now, to go a step further down, um, in practice, it means to me that we should do what we can to empower those that are closest to the decisions or actions. For example, one of the, the you know, our teams operating one of our stores, give those individuals access to the breadth and the depth of the data that they need to guide their um, decision-making and not only give them the tech, but also uh, enable them to uh, have the ability to use the data to do those things. So put simply, there's a technological component to it. How can we get people access to everything that they need to guide their decision-making? And also a cultural component, do we have enough know-how data literacy across the co-op so that that person now that he or she does have access 
is empowered to make use of that data in a, in a meaningful way to drive ultimately better actions for our customers. So customer driven is about putting customers at the center of every decision, not necessarily doing what the customer wants. Because if we were to focus on just doing what the customer wants, we'd sooner be giving away groceries as opposed to selling them. And, and that is not a sustainable scenario. So it's really about thinking what impact would this uh, uh, action or this initiative have on our customers? If there are three actions before us, which is the one that's going to have the best impact based on customer feedback, some experience, et cetera. Let's put all our energies behind that one because it's going to be the most customer driven. Hopefully that makes some sense. It does. My you 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 you, you point out a few really uh, you give a really few uh, interesting example, and I want to develop a little bit further in that. So you you talk about let's just say um, the employee or the staff at the retail store, um, and how do you empower and how do you give them the technology and also the depth and the breadth of data. Um, to be able to do what they, they need to do at the retail store. I really, really like that example. I, my question, however, is how do you bring the culture of the data literacy mm -hmm. to the people at the front line? Yeah. And I think that itself can, is, is, is super important but equally super challenging. I think a lot of time people uh, tend to have these wrong ideas. It's something that I observe is that data, data science, AI, all of those things happen in the headquarter at the corporate. And the guys in there look at the data, come out all of the fancy model, uh, fancy thing. But sometimes that's not solving the problem what the, the, the frontline is facing. Frontline is going to tell you that the no, we don't. We don't have this sort of problem. <laughs> what, what are you trying to do with it? The customer doesn't really care about this. <laughs> Why are you trying to solve this? Well, the frontline know the problem, the challenges, but how do you build that data literacy culture to explain to them so that they can feedback to you to say, "Hey, this is the problem that we are facing, and we think that if we have whatever this sort of data, maybe it can solve the problem." How do you build that feedback loop? My initial response is we don't do it alone. That's, mm. that's one. Mm. Um, it's a really good question. Look, I find the cultural components of what we have to do definitely the most challenging. That's mm. how don't, you know, don't push back or talk back. People have opinions, people have moods, people. It's culturally, it's really, really difficult. And I have to say that, you know, coming up, this space academically and, and throughout my um, my career, it's not one that you're set up for very well necessarily. You've got to really be conscious about trying to um, develop the tools and the skills to enhance or to lead uh, the cultural changes within organisations. So it's really it's really tough. I I agree with you. Mm. When I said not alone, it's true. Look, we, we are a central data, I'm responsible for a central enterprise data and analytics team. Mm. We have a, you know, we have a staff of, let's say, 30 individuals. 
um, who are all fantastic and, and uh, we're all on the journey together and we're all growing and, and becoming more impactful and more engaged together all the time. But it's really difficult for 30 people to service 25,000. So Absolutely. The, <laughs> the, the, the strategic point is we know data, but we don't necessarily know the contexts for the data as well as those in the store or in the distribution centers or on the road driving trucks have the context. So we're saying, okay, we don't have the context. We're unlikely to solve every challenge in the best possible way every time. But how can we set ourselves up to be a team that is like a, a center of excellence that is supporting those at the front lines, making the, the, the decisions do what they need to do? You, you referenced the store examples. Thankfully, we have in our membership and property division teams dedicated to supporting people at storefronts and, and stores operate and, and do what they need to do in an effective way. So a combination of us as a central data analytics team setting the guidelines and the frameworks, interacting with the store specific teams in that particular example within what we call the support center, which is um, um, what you refer to in, in other organizations or other institutions would be known as a, as a headquarters, but we are the support center because we, we exist to opt to support um, the stores. Um, coming up with a way to uh, leverage the data and analytics capabilities within the stores and within each of the divisions within our cooperative, letting those people that have the subject matter expertise, giving them the guidelines to say, hey, here are your boundaries. Within these boundaries, we want you to have full flexibility. You know, we increasingly spending more of our time setting up these boundaries, writing guidelines about which tools to use for which purpose, enabling people in that way. And then those subgroups, those what we call data squads, um, should be empowered to be the frontline support for the people either within the other divisions or within the stores to do what they need to do so it's definitely not all up to us if it was it wouldn't get very far at all we are really actively currently working out a way to try and um, empower those individuals and get the 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 um, connections right so that the knowledge transfer happens from us to the uh, data and analytics leaning people in each of those respective um, divisions so that they then are empowered to be the first ports of call for people within their areas that have particular data and analytics questions. Nine, the, the aim is, you know, 95% of the questions that come up on a daily basis, those empowered groups will be able to handle for their respective areas. And in the odd case, 5% of the time where they need more in-depth data analytics advice or whether it's a cross-functional initiative or whatever the case may be we're obviously still there to support so it's changing the ways of working being fully conscious that we can't be all things to all people at all times and making sure that we set up connections with people and connections to information to enable those people to do what needs to be doing the what they need to be doing on a, on a daily basis I feel like one of the challenges that um, a lot of people are facing, and I'm curious to know while you are building these 
satellite or the data squad team in yes. various parts of the uh, organization who has got that SME. The challenges seems to be <coughs> the, 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 the model of the center of excellence versus the distributed team. Um, often one would prefer one model versus the other. I, I, don't, I don't think what is, that is the right or wrong answer uh, in any of the model. But from your experience so far, how are you trying to get the best of the both worlds? Historically, we have operated um, in my time in the last three years and, and from what I understand before I got there in a way where there is sort of the data and analytics team uh, is the central place. Anything data and analytics related, we have to help bring to life and be central yeah. to um, Not just because of COVID, but especially during the COVID times, we, we all realized how much, how important and how beneficial agility and nimbleness uh, for organizations are. Those that were more nimble, better able to um, operate in constantly changing environments. Those were the less nimble, less so. So coming out of our uh, experience over the last couple of years in particular, and listening to the pain points when speaking to stakeholders that they've experienced in the past, it became clear, uh, at least to me, that the old way or the current way of doing things would need to be sort of evolved. And this sort of distributed method is seems to be the one that is right for the particular stage of our maturity journey that, that we are at. That doesn't mean to suggest it's right for all people at all times. But the genuine assessment within Foodstuffs today is that if, as we transition to that sort of a model, it help us move forward faster and in the and in the right direction, then if we continue to be people and be the, the, the custodians of all things data and analytics. Absolutely. Now, coming back to the, uh, the, the, the question uh, the, about the data-driven, I, 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 from, from your experience, hypothetically speaking, what would have happened if some of these business decisions were, were not powered by data? Okay. Um, they would have continued to be powered by intuition and experience, which mm. I want to be clear has served the co-op well in our hundred year history. Yeah. But in an environment where we're looking at increasing competition, uh, new competitors entering the market, existing competitors being better at what they do, pressures coming from economic conditions, from COVID and, and that sort of side of things and from all other places, I think it doesn't take as much convincing uh, people of the imperativeness of, you know, that we need to not replace the intuition and the experience, but augment it with data. You know, no human being can be asked to recall you know, for our 350 stores, what happened uh, for the last 10 years? I mean, it, you know, 
it's just not feasible for one human being to compete that. They would be very good, for instance, at a store level of knowing everything about their store, knowing what's going on, knowing their customers. But imagine what could happen if the, if if that intuition, that experience, that knowledge was augmented with here is what customers are thinking um, across the board. Here is what the predictions are that they'll be thinking tomorrow or the next day or the next month or the next week. I think the conversation, my experience is that the conversations with people that may have historically otherwise had a different view are becoming easier because it's just the world uh, makes more sense with the data lens across it than it does without and, and they're able to better make better decisions and more defensible decisions if they augment what they already know with what is being seen across the board it's just becoming a much easier conversation uh, and less of a hurdle to overcome absolutely i really like the word that you use augmenting uh, i think that is really a good choice of word. i think i'm gonna steal that <laughs> <Very honest. laughs> <laughs> I uh, was gonna say, given all of these things, how do all of these so far have translated to to the customer? What what does that mean from the customer perspective? Can you give us a quick example? I would say that everything we do translates to the customer, either directly or indirectly. In the case of um, for instance, the use of data to determine um, the price to put on a particular stock or even which stock to have on a shelf in a particular store, that's a decision or those decisions around which item to put on a shelf or in an online e-commerce e site and how much, to, how much you know, that uh, uh, product will cost the customer. Those are the decisions that directly affect customers. So that's, that's really obvious. Um, I think indirectly, for instance, there are decisions that we make as that analytics team um, around which tool uh, should be used to visualize the various data points that people need to visualize in order to make decisions. Now, that's an I would argue an indirect benefit to the customer because what happens in the case of the choice of tool or the choice of tech is that people need some way to access the information. They're accessing the information through the tool, but then they're using the information that is surfaced through that tool or through that technology in order to take actions that directly affect the customer. So everything that we do, you know, it goes back to the customer driven uh, being one of the most customer-driven retailers in the world mission, everything that we do, we have, you know, our CEO talks about it all the time. Think about the customer. Before you, you have the thought, during and after, what impact will this have on the customer? And there is a recognition co-op, I believe, that everything reverberates ultimately to the customer, whether it be something dealing with employee, happy employees, means happy customers, whether it be something dealing with our, uh, our vendors, happy vendors, means happy customers, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, everything that we do, I would argue, has a direct or indirect impact, and we are increasingly acting in that way and thinking in that way as a co-op. And you can see the changes, internally in the time that I've been here, the positive changes that that has led to. You spoke about the choice of tools and choice of tech. Yes. 
Now, with the with new technology constantly popping up, my question for you then is: How do you know which data, which new data data uh, analytic technology is worth bringing into the organization? How do you know it's not just another fact? <laughs> That's a, that's a, that's a really that's a really important question. Um, the way I would go about uh, answering that is to say, what are the stakeholders in the organisation? What are these? What are the business challenges? Sometimes it's a case of individuals across the the, the, the co-op not necessarily or, or across any organization knowing that the tech to address their specific business needs actually mm. already exists they just don't know about it mm. and other times and although that's probably less likely in my experience there's actually a genuine need for new tech um if an organization is mature enough i think the technology roadmaps whether they be uh, tech-based, strategy-based, platform-based, understanding what's happening in our industry, and this is where data analytics expertise can play a part, to map out this is what's going on in our industry, and list, And as we interact with our stakeholders across the top, we're listening to their business challenges and understanding the context within which those business challenges are coming up. Um, we can probably, uh, we're probably well placed to understand whether that particular thing is addressable by something we already have in our environment, or whether we need to to to, to do more. Now, that's a reactive way. So, listening, interpreting, using our expertise, and and coming back with something. So that's reactive. The proactive piece comes in with the roadmaps. You know, keeping our our fingers on the pulse from a data analytics industry. What's going on out there? What are some of these cutting edge organizations doing with respect to data analytics? Given the strategic roadmap for our organization, which of these tools do we think we're going to need and at which points in time? And then coming back and saying, you haven't thought about this guys, but you know, this is what's going on in, in, with company X or company Y. In two years time, we think it's gonna become useful Let's start planting the seed for that now and gaining the support uh, for for it. Um, but that's hopefully that makes a, that, that 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 paints a somewhat vivid picture. Hey, all! I just want to give a quick shout out about this episode. It's sponsored by the Embedded Analytic Program at DDA. And the Embedded Analytic Program is designed for senior manager and executive in the business team who want to integrate data science into daily business operation and use it to drive customer experience excellence and revenue. And book unlimited strategy session for a full year and start embedding analytics into the business frontline. For more information about this program, please refer to the description of this episode. Now, let's get on back to the interview. It does, it does. I'm curious to know though, if we go a little bit more details on yes. that, in, in your experience, what does the process of bringing in a new uh, data analytic technology looks like from start to finish, like you were saying that planting the seed? I think equally also, how do we ensure that it is uh, fully adopted? I think there are so many uh, stories where things are implemented, but never necessarily adopted <laughs> equally. How do, how, how do you ensure that 
by the time it's finished, it is indeed benefiting the the front line, it's benefiting the customer. What does that process look like for you? Um, okay, I'm gonna have a go at trying to uh, give you a response in, in three or four steps. So um, the first step for me in, in trying to address, you know, what uh, what does the process for bringing a new analytics tech into the picture look like? I'd say, mm. I'd reiterate the, the point that I made earlier, it's probably understanding the business challenge, but also understanding the operating environment that the stakeholder group raising the business challenge is working on. So understanding what assumptions they're using, what pressures they're under, you know, and that typically is done um, at least in, in, in our world um, by sort of people with the business analyst type skill set. People that are really down and dirty with the detail and ask the right questions and try to fit, um, extract that information from, from stakeholders. Second is probably uh, using our uh, knowledge as an IT team to select a possible solution set in terms of technology. You know, there's, there's always a hundred different technologies to do a certain thing, or typically, um, trying to reduce it to a reasonable amount that we think on the surface would uh, fit into our environment relatively well. And that typically relies on um, people with, uh, you know, architectural skill set, IT architecture skill sets. Uh, then we typically go to market for, uh, you know, we've selected a handful of, of tech that could potentially solve the challenge for us, assuming that we don't have the technology already go to markets for something like an RFP. And in that instance, we're sort of leaning on people um, with the legal or procurement skill set. And then ultimately, once a, a solution is selected, um, it's about implementation, as you rightly pointed out. Uh, and that's where it probably comes back to um, us as an IT team. And if it's a data analytics piece of tech, the data analytics team specifically, to ensure that we, um, implementing the solution in a way that is done with our stakeholders as opposed to being done to them or for them and that's a really important distinction that we make in the co-op it's it's a hand-in-hand -hand thing it's not something that IT does for you it's something that you sit down around the table with IT around the table with the stakeholders to find out what the best way of implementing this thing to solve your business challenge is in light of all of the other uh, you know, frameworks that exist within within the organization. So I think, broadly speaking, those are the four steps uh, that we would employ to get to that point. Well, now I'm going to put you on the spot here yeah. from what you have noticed. What are the reasons when procuring a new technology fails? Okay, so I can... <clears throat> I can talk to you about a specific example, which I think uh, was a massive learning opportunity for me and something that had I been cognizant of before, I would have done in a different sequence. Well, uh, when I first got into the role, a few months in, I remember a senior executive said, you know, Maz, we're still using, you know, I went to this conference or that conference and I saw this amazing tool being, being used like, how can we, can't we use something like that? We're still using really old tech to do stuff and then the world has moved on. You know, I'm painting a yeah. rough picture, but that's that's paraphrasing the sentiments at least. Um, 
And I'm like, oh, yes, I, I can do that, done that before, fantastic. So, you know, my, I've got a background, an academic background in evaluation. So I worked with my team and we came up with a really comprehensive scientific way of assessing all of the different, uh, the leading uh, technologies. Yeah, I can tell you, it's a data visualization technology. So looking at the data visualization space and saying, oh, okay, there are four or five players here, great, let's get them all. We created a list of 150 metrics across about four or five different thematic areas you know integration how well would this tool integrate with our existing environment how well is it supported do they have support staff based in in, in the in the city or in the country etc you know 150 of these things we lent on the vendors to set up instances where we tried and tested and, and scored all of these 150 metrics and came out with a clear winner great we did that in record time a few weeks really defensible was really difficult for anybody to push back uh, two thumbs up from the, the senior stakeholders we then went into a process of um, implementation and had a project set up had budget set up won the battles you know had created the narrative uh, that that sort of won support as we were rolling things out, we realized, you know, uh, the, the, the stakeholders would come out and say, Maz, can you guys please um, just lift and shift? We've got all of these things in Excel. Uh, can you just lift and shift and turn it into, so we don't have to go out and train people. If, 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 if using the new tool, you're able to sort of replicate the functionality and usability of what people see in Excel, it's going to be less, okay, that sort of makes sense. Let's, let's, let's do what you suggest and we work with you on that. So we did that. What we realized soon after was that we did what we had to do according to the specifications of the stakeholders, but we weren't to know, or maybe we should have known, we didn't, that requests change, metrics, additional metrics are requested, definitions change. Um, people want to change things and, and, and be nimble and agile and have the ability to do all of these things. But what happened was the data with that were needed to do all of those changes, we still had to action them as a centralized data and analytics team. So all of that stuff was coming back. And came into our backlog, we were doing things really well and really fast, but not fast enough to address the business need. Right? So we were yeah. thinking, wow, this is this was a great idea, done well, but probably um, when you, you know, what we keep looking at now is this data hierarchy, the, the pyramid. So you're looking at the data layer, Above the data layer is the knowledge layer, above the knowledge layer, sorry, above the data layer is the information layer, above the information layer is the knowledge layer, above the knowledge layer is the wisdom layer. So we, mm. what we did, looking back, was like, okay, we started in the knowledge layer. But guys, what we've now seen and understood is that in order to get the information right, the, the layer underneath in the pyramid needs to be right. Your data has to be right or have to be, not that they're wrong, but they have to be available in a format to enable people to easily do what they need to do in the time frame that they need to do it and that really was an awakening for me right everything done well like if you just look at the project in isolation it was done really really well but in actual fact it was out of sequence what we should have done and what i would have done in hindsight is started with what we're starting with now which is um creating a infrastructure an ecosystem within which all of this stuff can be done much more easily for, for, for the end user so thankfully we're still using the tool that we selected and it is forming a 
critical, it, it's already formed a critical part of our overarching data analytics ecosystem, but the usage of that tool is only fractional to what we had anticipated it to be, simply because the underlying infrastructure, the unsexy data stuff, it wasn't where it needed to be to, to address the, the, the business challenges in the timeframe that was needed. So that's a really personal example because I sort of, I'm like, oh man, if we had only known that we could have just, so I, that's, that's something that I, you know, I, uh, let's just say put it nicely, a learning opportunity for me in that the sequencing of these things is really, really important. And sort of, uh, yeah, it was a bit of an oversight on, on, on my part, but thankfully the decision that we made around the tool, it just wasn't time. And I think a great idea before it's time is almost like a, a bad idea. And we just have to learn from that and evolve and, and move forward. I think sequencing is really, really important. And often sequencing itself, is also one of the biggest challenges that I have found or observed to tackle. And what I mean by that is sequencing is so important that to build the foundation, let's say to build the data foundation, to build the, the accessibility of the, of the data, to have the, the right tools in place, to have the right infrastructure in place, and then subsequently to build up the capability and when you have all of those things in sequence and coming together, yeah. all the magic will happen yeah. because you empower so many other people with the right tool, right data, and whatever innovation, whatever crazy idea that they have got come into place, magic will happen. Yes. But we human are impatient we often would like to say what are you doing with all of this stuff jason or maybe base can we just have something sexy <laughs> can we not have the AI to 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 make that magic happen i i can't wait my business cannot wait um we 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 have to do all of this and that is where sometimes we cannot resist to that sort of calling, cannot resist of that sort of pressure. There are short-term and long-term visas, right? So if we cannot resist to that pressure and we go and meet these short-term needs or the short-term sexy thing, in the long run, we, we all would also create more challenges for us. How do you think is the best way to address and 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 highlight the importance of the the, the 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 sequencing and how magic will happen if we put the foundation right so that the building doesn't crumble down <laughs> when it is tall enough it's a, it's a it's a really pertinent point and i'm not gonna be so presumptuous to say i have the answer to the question is which is the best way but i can tell you about the way that we have found success Right. So what was really important in, in you know, I, I alluded to um, the sequencing bit and how we had to get our data right. The, the initiative that is currently underway at Foodstuffs, which is 
um, being led by IT and, and with a specific leadership responsibility in the data and analytics team is a uh, is a initiative that we've called the enterprise data platform. The enterprise data platform is put crudely a move a transition to the cloud, but it is much more than that. It is about just like uh, creating an ecosystem of existing technology and in some cases new technology that will serve to all of the things that I've been mentioning so far in our discussion to serve to enable people to access the data, have the tools necessary to surface mm -hmm. information and then make decisions through it. So it is a bunch of technologies, a bunch of different data sources, a bunch of different repositories, a bunch of different methods of communicating between all of these different uh, technologies, all of it coming together so that all of all the end user sees is the information he or she needs irrespective of which tool he or she uses to access that information and can do what they need to do. From my perspective, it it's, stands to be one of the most significant data and analytics uh, initiatives in our 100 year history and one that I'm so fully behind. All my eggs are in the success of this basket. Uh, in, in this basket, right? So, so the way we went about trying to um, Seed and get people, stakeholder buy-in to this is by working with our colleagues in architecture who led the way in terms of, you know, here is the vision, guys. How can we make it look? What does a high-level design for this vision look like as an enterprise design? So I'm gonna I'm gonna make up numbers here, but let's say the ecosystem consists of 30 pieces of technology, 20 of which exist today, 10 of which we need to, to get. We didn't go and say to our stakeholders, hey guys, here is what perfect looks like. We went in and we, we're starting uh, this process with our supply chain colleagues. Supply chain, what are some of your real, real world challenges here in particular in light, of, in light of COVID? Output some of those. How about if we came to you with a solution to those particular challenges and this is how it could potentially look like? Oh, okay, Maz, that's great, but can you modify this piece and that piece and can you add that bit and that bit and we have a conversation about it. In that conversation or as part of that conversation, the minimum viable product was being developed without anyone calling it that. So of the 30 pieces of tech from the enterprise view, this minimum viable product is going to activate four of them. This four is going to re uh, 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 return this much value back, either dollar terms or time saved or risk of accidents reduced or, or whatever the return on investment happens to be, the metric that we happen to use. And that is the story that was sold. So we, we go in with an enterprise view of what great looks like. We create a narrative around that, but use the MVP as a, here is a real world example that isn't gonna cost you guys very much. Um, let's get this done. And we can start activating solutions to similar problems across the, the, the copy in a sort of copy and paste way. And that for me was the critical piece, the secret sauce in the recipe that enabled people, nobody's gonna get what perfect looks like. It's really hard to, to picture that. But if you're talking about it as you're you're you know you're developing an MVP, and then with every new iteration, you are increasing the number of components of this enterprise ecosystem that you're wanting to bring to life, 
that has found a lot of traction and what was difficult to get traction on before we're finding is no longer difficult to get traction on and we've got funding for it and people are on the journey and, and there's excitement being raised about it because of that storytelling ability and starting small and thinking large. Wow. Wow. And, and, and I think MVP is certainly one of the things that has been um, used a lot in over the last few years. What is your definition of the MVP then? Because I, I found that some people, I feel like I'm putting you on the spot again. Some of the definition of the MVP is like, well, we're going to have this, 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 and this. But some people are really stick to that MVP. No, this guy has to only just do just one thing. How do you, how do you help them to, to find it? Okay, what is the right balance then? Really good question. And I have to admit, I find myself sometimes sucked in uh, to including more than is necessary in these sorts of things. So I have to say that in, in the particular example I talked about just now, um, I'm really thankful that we have experts in the house, um, uh, in particular our um, enterprise data architect who has done this sort of thing multiple times before. In multiple you know big organizations so and he's a really personable really knowledgeable guy so in our example it's like hey evan i want a b c d e f g he's like yep i hear you Maz. it's on the roadmap but do we really need x y and z to achieve no we actually we probably don't let's shave that bit off even though they're really important let's yes. just shave that bit off get this bit over the line so yeah it's, it's really speaking with and liaising with people in the know that have done it mm. before and that can are able to really effectively temper my grand designs and, and expectations and desires and you know um, uh, into something that is like yeah we're here good idea but that's probably step five step one is here so leaning on those and giving and empowering those that have the knowledge that have done this before to have a say and influence how these things are uh, developed, I think, at least in our experience, has been really important to keeping the minimum part of mm. um, uh, the MVP acronym minimum because it can easily turn into a maximum if you're not careful. Yeah. Now, on that note, this is probably for the people who are working as a data engineer, data professional, or data scientist, what sort of skill set do you think they need to develop um, to be able to influence the decision like the, 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 the person that you just referred to, to have that sort of skill set in order for them to continue to develop their skill and subsequently uh, their career? Um, it depends on what sort of area you're talking about. So, for instance, in our data and analytics team, uh, we, we are a, 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 an SAP house. Our operational systems happen to be in the SAP tech stack. I mean, some of the important ones, uh, some of the most important are in the SAP tech stack. We have a lot of expertise in the SAP world. Now, our enterprise data platform Remember, I said it's an ecosystem. So SAP is definitely a part of that ecosystem, but it's the only part. So what we find that we are in, in need of either upskilling 
existing team members with these skills or bringing in new skills uh, is in the area of data engineering. That's uh, an area we're really focused on. And the particular skills in that space are in the SQL Python skills, being able to create the pipelines that enable the flow of data from system to system and to live and be accessible in the enterprise data platform in a way that makes it usable. So from a um, um, data engineering or a data analytics team perspective, that is the skill set that we're really focused on both upskilling and adding new blood into. From a architectural perspective, it's really the, the architectural, uh, it's just the enterprise data architect skills, being able to understand the, the big picture of, of what does, what can the world look like, listening to a vision, being able to translate that vision into a schematic, a blueprint. Um, that's a really, really, uh, you know, it's, I can't stress enough how important having an enterprise data architect has been for this particular initiative. So combination of architectural skills, combination of integration skills, combination of data engineering skills, as well as the specific technology skills for systems that already exist, because you need that in order to work out how best to integrate and how best to connect it all up with, with one another. That's probably the the um the area that we're you know the areas that we're sort of focusing in on at the moment that we're fully leveraging mm. how can someone develop themselves to have that sort of skill set for them to progress their career to that sort of level uh, to have that enterprise architecture uh enterprise data architecture view yeah Look, I'm probably not the best person to speak to the enterprise data architecture career trajectory, but I know enough to be dangerous. Um, and and what I think, what I think uh, is the way is well, one of the ways to do it is first of all that the most important is for somebody to want to do that. So in yeah. fact, I can speak about a direct example. There is an individual in the team that I'm responsible for, same person, who has after witnessing the interactions and the interplay and being involved in the interplay with the enterprise data uh, architect came up to me and said Maz look I, I really think this is the sort of thing I, I want to get into and mm. I asked him I'm like oh that's really interesting why why what makes you so attracted to it and the response and I'm paraphrasing but the response was at least as I interpreted was I really like the way data architect is able to to, to translate really complex technical things into plain language and make it really meaningful for people, irrespective of where they are in the, in the organization. And I listened to that, I'm like, actually, that's a, probably a trick that, or a skill that everybody in the data analytics game should have. But it was really a, a powerful example of how when it's done well by somebody that has been there, done that, been in the, in the game for so long, um it can have a positive impact so so now the, the the responsibility is on me to work with the individuals to to, to carve out a, a process for enabling that person to move in that trajectory if indeed he decides to go down that path and it's a, it's that open door policy to career progression that we have in the data analytics team at first us but also within the it team there is a real culture that i would summarize as 
everything is on the table until it's not. And mm. if it's not on the table, it's more than likely to do with the fact that this thing isn't necessarily aligned with our strategic objectives. That's, that's really it. Everything else, as far as I can see, at least in my experience, in my interaction, it's open uh, for the possibility that the individual has to be proactive enough to take advantage of that situation. That's a, a critical prerequisite. I love how you tie that personal development into the overall objective of the company go and uh, making sure that both go hand in hand and uh, heading into the, the, the right direction. Now, coming back to where we were at before, uh, in summarizing to talking about bringing in the new data uh, analytic technology into the corporation, what is your advice for, for the analytic team or the professional to do that in order, especially to also to complement their assisting technology. Do you mind repeating the question, uh, Jason? I'm not sure that I comprehended it sufficiently well. Absolutely. I think I may have uh, been a little bit wordy. <laughs> that is the one thing. <laughs> what, what is your advice for the data analytic professional who is looking to introduce new technology to their corporation? How should they also use it, making sure that it complement the existing technology? They are not literally just dumping the old one and they just bring the new one. How can they bring the two coming to work together hand in hand, like the new and old technology? Look, uh, the way I think about, you know, we often are faced with those sorts of questions. Uh, mm. People are wanting the new and shiny thing, but we as data analytics and IT professionals understand that what they're asking for, the functionality already exists in the organization. So the way I make sense of it is I think about, you know, someone can think about your house, but each, it's almost as if, each stakeholder is like a member of your house, sitting in each of their rooms, on their PlayStations, on their devices, watching TV, whatever, not communicating with one another. Um, in that way, they're sort of siloed. And that concept of siloization is not, it's a, it's every organization of any size or stature has this as a particular challenge. Foodstuffs is not special in that case. But uh, you probably need something like a family meal and a dining table to bring them all together uh, at, the, at the right times. So that's the journey that I think we're currently on <laughs> with, that, with that move to the cloud is, is the, the architecture is the dining table or the, the, the tech is the dining table, but the meal is the story upon which that, you know, that, that sits. And by bringing them all together, ensuring that conversations are happening in a less siloed way and people are raising challenges in forums where other people in those forums are able to talk about them and, and talk to them. I think it's been really, look, in my, what I've witnessed is it's been really effective in ensuring that the only time we go out to get new technology is once we are confident that what is being sought doesn't already exist in the, in the organization. Not because I say so, but because I say so, plus person X say so, plus person Y say so, that are all the relevant stakeholders sitting around the table having those discussions and saying, yes, we can do it with existing tech, or no, we can't. 
and and it's just open and, and transparent for everybody to see. So I, that's that's my response to your question, Jason. I, I really like your um, analogy analogy of uh, the household member uh, sitting in their room. It sounds to, it is almost like each of those business functions they are sitting in in their own um, team and their corner, right? And so the key is then how do we bring them all to the dining table and to discuss things? I I think that is a beautiful uh, analogy. Now to to wrap this thing up before we go to the dessert question, is there anything else that you would like to share about your work? Okay. Yes. There's an option. You've asked me, so I'm going to plug. I'm not going to. I'm going to unashamedly plug. Go for it. Plug. Go for it. Okay. So, so you know, I hope I have given a sense of the open and welcome culture in our organisation, and and I want to use that to really try and make a case for you know we're we're constantly on the lookout for new talent to join our ranks. So, if anybody listening is interested or knows somebody. It's looking to join an organization with a culture that fosters a feeling of self-worth, empowers you to be authentically yourself, which is really important, and opens the door to, in my view, infinite career possibilities, both in the fields of data analytics and beyond. Come and join the Foodies FOMO, which is the Maori word for family for our international audience. The doors are open. Please reach out. Wonderful, wonderful. I will make sure that people are reaching out and also share the uh, website of the organization, which is uh, Foodstuff uh, North Island. Now, here are my two questions before I let you go. The first one is, what is your most important first principle? Okay, we've already touched on it. Find a way to more fully leverage what you've got before looking externally that could apply equally to people and tech. <clears throat> what is one book that you have read and thought it would have been better for your younger self to have? Okay, so when I, uh, for the first, the, the thing that comes to mind instantly is the, the book I'm currently reading, which is titled, uh, How to Make the World Add Up, 10 Rules for Thinking Differently About Numbers. And it's by an author named Tim Harford. It was um, learned to me by my boss, our chief digital officer, uh, Simon Kennedy. And this, despite him learning it to me several months ago, I'm very, very slowly making my way through it. And as we talked about before, before the session with two young ones under five, in my defense, it's a wonder I've made any progress. So I'm counting the fact that I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm beyond page one as a success. Um, why? Re reading through it, uh impressed upon me perhaps ironically that the true power of data is not actually in the numbers it's in the words so the the story that brings the underlying numbers to life is i think can lead to positive changes in behaviors attitudes and actions and i reckon if i had been more uh conscious of this in my younger years i would have dedicated more time earlier to enhancing this artistic skill that really is so critical to our profession what do you mean about the artistic skill do, do you mind to elaborate on that so you know people think of data analytics as a science and it absolutely is but what i've come to appreciate more and more over the years is 
even the best science in the world will mean a limited amount if the story through which that science is brought to life and it doesn't make sense for people, doesn't resonate for people. So the storytelling part of what we do, I think, is more art than science. So if you are, you know, for the younger people that may be listening, I, you know, I, I think it's really, really important to try and consider and, and um, get skilled up in the area of the art of storytelling, because the mm. better a story is, the more digestible, the more comprehensible, the more um, uh, meaningful it is, and it doesn't have to be complex, can be simple and still really effective, the better chance you will have of getting the thing that you want done done. So true, so true. I think one of the uh, um, things that I can relate to, or perhaps one of the little tips that I found to be so useful is make the story, uh, make, the, make, make, make sure that it's a person uh, in, in, in the story, rather than trying to sell it just like uh, black and white, make it emotional, put a, put a human in the center of the, the story. I think it will make it easier uh, for for people to to find relatable, that seems to be uh, super important. <laughs> it's probably more important for me than my data analytics skills. Being able to turn that number into a story is is critical. It really is. There's no other word for it. What is one thing um, you What is one one tips that you would give to 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 that you would share to in, in that sort of skill set that you make it easier for you to tell the story, make it easier for you to, to bring the, to have the buy-in from the people. Okay, so again, the first thing that comes to mind, not necessarily the best tip, but the, the first one that comes to mind is when you are talking about a number, mm. consider talking about it in a way that makes sense to people. So uh, talking about, for instance, the country of Aotearoa, New Zealand, being a fifth the size of France. I'm just, I'm just making that up. I don't think it's a fifth the size of France. What does that mean? What mm. are you trying to convey to the audience? Mm. Being that it is, you know, finding a way to talk about that same fact. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we change the facts, but, you know, uh, uh, talking about it potentially in population. So for every, uh, you know, one person in New Zealand, there are seven people in France. It's still talking about the size of the place, but yeah. it's talking about it in a way that maybe is more digestible. And it, again, it depends on your audience how you break that down, but that's probably a, an important tip. Take the fact, look at the audience, translate the fact in a way or, or, or surface the fact or present the fact in a way that your audience is best able to comprehend it for the impact that you want it to have rather than for the number itself that is a great tip thank you so much for that i really really love uh of what we have discussed i think we have discussed so many uh things especially in the soft side about how to bring the new tech into the uh, organization to complement all those things. Um, hear the first-hand experience from, from you about how to do a lot of those things, equally about the soft skill 
uh, that is needed for uh, the role like yourself. So uh, again, thank you so much um, for, for sharing this. And uh, I certainly uh, am sure that many listeners will find that really useful. Thank you. I, I really hope so. Thanks again for the opportunity, Jason. It's been a pleasure, sir. No problem. Pleasure is mine. Hello. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit that subscribe button so we can meet again. If you don't, I'll be stuck in an infinite loop. So pull that part by clicking the subscribe and help me out. You can further support us by leaving us a kind review from wherever you are listening. At the end of the year, I will choose a reviewer to send a special gift to, and it might just be you. Look forward to seeing you here next week for a new adventure. If I can find my way out of this endless loop. See ya.